Good morning and welcome to Garden Talk on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. I'm Jay Thomas. We always got somebody with me here. It's Jill this morning. Good morning, Jill. Good morning. Rick is away right now. He's on a holiday someplace nice and hot, like a lot of people are this time of year, it seems. I've got uh, all kinds of family and friends who are flying somewhere, somewhere warm. And I guess I, you know, I'd say, oh, normally I'd, I would, I would scoff and say, oh, and and I'm sitting here freezing. But actually, it's pretty nice in Saskatchewan right now too. So yeah, that's kind of a nice trade-off. It's a beautiful day. I don't know if you saw the sunrise this morning, Jay, mm-hmm. but it was stunning. Yeah, and I love pink the and purple and the yellow. vivid colors that you get in the winter time. I don't know if it's just like having the the white snow with the sky and then the color mixing with it. But I also find that the I find the sunrises seem to last a little bit longer in the winter time. They too. do. They do. And I think it's the angle of which we. The Earth is tilted. Have I remember learning something in science class about that? Is that that because the Earth is tilted in a different way during the winter months, it refracts the light more? Exactly. I was actually geeking out a little bit this morning and reading a little bit about okay. it. I was like, <laughs> why is it so beautiful this morning? Yeah. And it's that, and it's also because our humidity is a little bit lower in the winter time too, so the light refracts differently then. Right. As well. And then you get people who talk about going to places around the equator, traveling there, and they talk about how sudden sunsets and sunrises are that they last for only minutes Minutes. not not half an hour or 45 minutes like we have around here right exactly yeah it was just it was beautiful i think uh people who wake up and do their morning walk or get out on their skis and do like a morning little Mm -hmm. ski this time of year this weather that we're having right now only minus six today oh right now when i woke up this morning it's going to get warmer but exactly yeah so beautiful. Exactly, it is. Absolutely. one 332 8255 We are going to talk about that in a little bit, about what these warm temperatures mean. We will get to that in a, in a short little while. We're going to talk about what's going on at the Garden Center, some great free U of S sessions about information as a gardener that you might yes, be looking for. Good webinars. Yeah, exactly. And we're going to dig a little deeper into sort of house plants, how to keep yourself in the green zone, so to speak. Uh, you know, Ooh, now that it's exciting winter, for right? me to talk about. Exactly. Like exactly. But right now we've got uh, Donna, who's on the line out in Harris. The early bird gets the worm and she's on the call with us. Hi there, Donna. How are you? Fine. Uh, really good. How about yourself? Pretty good. What's your question for us this morning? Okay. Uh, I've got a uh, basil plant and it's not doing very well. And you know how on a pot there's those little holes holes on the bottom? Yes. Little mounds of dirt keep coming out of there all the time. Hmm. Well, what I would do, first of all, is maybe just lift your plant out of that out of that pot and just have a look at that root system. Looking at the roots is going to tell you a lot. On a basil plant, you should see a nice healthy white roots on that. If it's if the roots are looking brown or anything like that, then you then you know that maybe you're overwatering your basil plant a little bit, and that okay. could be it. Um, if you're finding that there's little something like moving around in there, I'd also check to see if maybe you have um, some sort of worm or a bug in your soil as well. Um, mm-hmm. that, that could very well be. We don't usually see that very much in our indoor indoor pots, but I mean, um, it, that could be could be something you're doing. But with basil, water and temperature is your most important thing to make it successful. So you want to make sure that you have it in a, an area in your house where the temperature is a little bit higher. They are a warm weather plant to get them to reproduce. So that is really important. So if you have them too close to a window and they're getting that cold draft off the window, sometimes you'll find that you'll get some damping off or the leaves, they won't be growing so well. But um, if you pull them away from the window or near a register where they're getting that sort of that bottom heat or the soil staying warmer, your plant's actually going to do better for you. Okay. And do they need a lot of sun? Because uh, 
Yeah, in the wintertime, we're not getting much sunlight. So bright, indirect light is perfect for those basil plants. Or if you have a grow light to supplement with, that would be ideal. Um, okay. Also remember, once you get those those leaves on them, once you get that second set of leaves, you can start pinching your basil plant and just pin, right. pinch it right down to that next set of leaves. And what that's going to do is cause branching and bushing, and you'll get more leaves in turn. Okay, well, thank you very much, and have yourself a wonderful day. You, you too. as well. Thanks, Donna. Bye-bye. 1-877-332-8255. We mentioned it earlier, but we're looking at some pretty warm temperatures around the province for the actually foreseeable week where we're getting above zero, getting some melting going on. I think Tuesday plus six is the high, Thursday plus six is the high, and then it goes down to only about minus nine at the low at night on just a couple of those nights. Right. So I think some things that we got to be looking for in our yard is a few things if, if there's any snow that's going to be melting or, or anything like that. You're going to be watching for areas where it might be seeping into your house or what type of grading you have. Um, and the other thing that you have to watch for is what we are talking about before. Snow is our best insulator. So those tender perennials and tender shrubs that you might have in those in your yard, um, you might want to look at sort of getting some extra mulch and covering them when the snow kind of melts so that when we get a deep freeze again, if we don't get more snow, then it sort of helps those plants survive. A lot of times once we've got a solid freeze like we have and the ground is frozen, the the plants will be good. But if it, it it warms up enough that the ground is thawing. That's when we start seeing issues. Right, right. And we have had a pretty, we've had a good stretch of really cold weather. Yes. So that should help us in some cases. But but you're right, where we start to see it is just the snow melting away. Yeah. And pulling snow from other parts of your yard, getting it to where it's got to be kind of thing. Right? Exactly. And there's, if you if you pile the snow up thick enough, it's going to melt slower in those areas too. Mm-hmm. So if you can do that on top, of, especially some of your tender perennials, your hostas, um, heucheras, uh, coral balls, another name for them. Um, some of your tea roses, if you have some of those in, in some tender areas, even some of my hydrangeas, I'll, I'll put it up around, around the edges. I don't like to, when I'm piling the snow, especially when it's warm like this, you got to watch that snow is heavy. Mm-hmm. And so if you just throw it on some of your shrubs, or your cedars or anything like that, it will break those, open those top branches too and cause some some breaking and blow. So just sort of pile it up around the base is better than actually throwing it on top okay. of the plant. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And and I guess, you know, there's not always the whole yard you got to worry about. It's just where it's kind of melting away. Like, for example, my yard, the stuff that faces north... <laughs> I mean, it, it takes, it takes weeks in the spring. You're still shoveling in May. Oh yeah. Like for sure. Right. So, and, yeah. and, and then the ground doesn't thaw for quite a while after yeah. that yet, even when, when the top, because it's just not any sunshine there to, to really, you know, break through that frost. Yeah. And like we said, we had some really cold temperatures, so it is quite frozen. It's just if this temperatures stay warm for a while that we are getting thaw, then that's what we want to watch for. Right. Exactly. Hey, we want to put this out there that, uh, if you're listening to our pre-recorded show last weekend, because we we were all away last weekend. We did a big uh, seed starting 101, basically. Yeah. You know, we went through kind of everything from start to finish of, of where to go with that. Uh, if you've got questions about something you heard about, you're not sure, you want more clarification, give us a call now, one 332 8255 What are the seeds that we got to be looking for to start coming up this week? Okay, so a few things that you'll want to start this week. If you're doing any seed geraniums, that's to start mm. this week. So okay. that's really important. If you're doing any gourds, um, those are ones that you want to start this this week now going into next week because a lot I like to prepare one week ahead. Um, you'll be starting to pick up your seeds for your petunias, pansies, uh, celery, and actually a lot of your hot peppers is this weekend next week. So wow. you want to be starting those already. And then a lot of people don't think about this, but if you look at some of those heirloom tomato varieties, they have long 
germination dates and uh, production dates. So you want to be starting some of your heirloom tomatoes this early. Now, I, I'm very hesitant to mention that tomatoes in, in February <laughs> to everybody because some tomatoes only have a 60-day um, time or even a 50-day time for like a tumbling tomato. So you want to be watching those seed starting dates, but anything in the 100, 120, 130 days, you want to get those going early. Right. So really pay attention to those dates in the back. That's going to give you that, yeah, that key with that. For right? sure. Well, let's go over our text line and check what's going on there. So uh, let's see if I get to the first one here. I got to kind of wind my way back through all this. Uh, this is from, not sure who, but let us know your name and where you are if you could. Uh, uh, can you vi- advise the best way to amend poor soil in perennial beds? I have been told that peat moss and unscented, non-clumping kitty litter is a good idea. Well, the biggest thing in perennial beds is is what you want to do is check to see what type of soil you have to start off with. So if you have a really clay soil, then what you want to do is you want to put something in there that's going to break up those pieces of clay. So that's why um, a vermiculite, a perlite, or that's maybe why they're suggesting the kitty litter, because that's very similar to vermiculite. It will just kind of help drive some things in between those layers of soil and kind of build it up again. So that that's one thing that you want to watch. If you have a really sandy soil, then you might want to be amending it with by adding some some peat or some cocoa core, adding cocoa core into your soil to, to help retain some moisture is actually always really important too, and a lot of people are moving more into adding coca core instead of uh, instead of peat moss. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so adding that in there, so it could be a mixture. Look at your soil first. If you have um, a really clay soil, then adding the vermiculite or, like you said, adding a little bit of that kitty litter in there would be the same thing as vermiculite, perlite, um, even some like sharp sand. So you don't want to add sand into clay. That's a, a big no-no or else you'll make cement. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you can add sharp sand, which is almost like little sharp pebbles and add that in there. And that will help sort of break up that soil if you have a, quite a hard amount of clay. We're going to kind of go to a similar text that's coming from Janie. Uh, it says, good morning, live on a farm. What kind of water should I use for watering my house plants? I have well water with natural minerals, minerals, softened water, and drinking water, like through a reverse osmosis. Or perhaps maybe I should melt snow. Uh, I could do that if none of these are a good idea. Yeah, I know you always refer to city and town water with issues with chlorine, but it's not the case here. My pea stilly and spider plants have brown tips, and it's likely, you know, it's like salt mineral buildup from the water issue, probably, she's thinking. Yeah, so. that's exactly what it is. It's the salt and mineral build buildup from the water. I would probably use just the, the tap, the drinking water that you're using. The reverse osmosis. The reverse osmosis, and then make sure you're adding nutrients into it. So adding the fertilizer in it um, with my house plants, even through the winter season, with exception of my cactus and succulents, I'm using that house plant fertilizer all the way through. It's such a mild solution that it just works just to give them that extra little oomph through the through the season. The 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 brown tips on the ends, um, depending on how brown they are, but I always find that that's almost you're going to have that with most house plants that you yeah, like. My spider plant is that way. Yeah. It- and if it you go is. out even in nature and you look at the plants, even that are growing in their environment, they have a little bit of tipping on them. And that, that's completely natural. You can do a little bit of trimming if you want to, but what you're, what you are seeing is just a little bit of salt buildup in your soils, um, or, or a chlorine built burn or something like that. Too. Right. So reverse osmosis and then take and add things back in. What it kind of does is pull everything out. Yes. Starts at a, at sort of a, a flat space, yeah. you know, with, with in terms of the water. And then you're adding in, you know, like a, a, a houseplant fertilizer, something that's organic too is great because it's got a really good variety of stuff, but it's the stuff that the plants need, not the stuff they don't, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. 
Let's keep going with our text line. Can I use sawdust in my garden? Kate in Saskatoon. Um, I mean, you can put some sawdust in your garden. What that's going to do is, again, just uh, retain the moisture and... Uh, add some organic material. Add some organic material. It's not going to harm it, but with anything, you want to do it in moderation. Yeah. So if you're going to add sawdust, you don't want to put like a ton, ton, ton in one area. Just mix it in. I wouldn't I wouldn't add any more than one third. Um, if you're doing one third, one third, one third, that would be even one third would be quite a bit of sawdust. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the same thing with anything else that would go in a garden. If you, if you add too much manure, it's a problem, yeah. right? Exactly. If you add too much peat moss, it's a problem, right? Yeah. So, And actually, a lot of our perennials, when they come packed, um, like our bare root perennials, they come packed in order to sort of a sawdust mixture. Mm-hmm. And uh, my aunt, uh, who used to run the perennial department at, at Dutch Grower, she actually takes those that sawdust home and mixes it into her garden on a regular basis. Too. Okay. So it is definitely something that you can do and something that uh, some expert gardeners are doing. Just make sure that you're not doing a complete mix of that. There you go. Uh, this is from who? Not sure. Oh, it's Rose in Saskatoon. It's a great name to call a garden center. Uh, Rose. Rose. Yeah. Uh, Rose wants to know when is the right time to start my canna bulbs inside? You can start them right now. So early February is when you want to start them. Now, remember when you start your cannas or, or callas or any bulb for that matter indoors, it's the it's the soil temperature, the heat that's going to get them going. And then it's when they start poking out of the soil, that's when you want to start adding the light and moving them closer to the window. So... That's one thing. Take them out of their cold storage area, pot them up, get some bottom heat on those on that soil, and they should start popping through right away. Okay. Hey, we got a good text that came in just now. And it's a response to an earlier one we were talking about. We were, at, you know, there was somebody who asked, "Can I add the kitty litter, litter to my garden?" Yeah. And once one person said, "Text uh, said that kitty litter is going to attract cats." And that's true because there are things yeah. that they put in kitty litter to pheromones pheromone, and stuff like that, right? That yeah. that actually do attract cats to want to go to the bathroom on that kitty litter. And even if it's even if it's mixed into the garden, the last thing you want is a cat in your garden, yeah, right? That's I mean, true. Maybe if you were like out on a farm or whatever, and you you just had maybe a few of your own cats and stuff like that. But maybe in the city, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So I never thought about very, that, actually. It's a very good, good point. point. Yeah, it's a very good point. Good point. If you want to do something similar to that, I would just pick up a bag of vermiculite or perlite at the garden center, and it would do the exact same thing. Without attracting the exactly. cats. Without attracting the yeah. cats. Yeah, because there, there literally are things they put in yeah. a kitty litter to make cats want to go to the bathroom on that kitty litter. You know, I don't have a cat. I never thought about that. Something I've kind of learned from friends with cats, I guess. <laughs> good point. Thanks for the call. <laughs> yeah, I was, the text absolutely, on that. Absolutely. Darren in Saskatoon at one eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. Morning, Jill. I've got a mandevilla in my house that was brought in last fall. It did well until recently. It's a relatively sunny spot, but it's yellowing and dropping leaves. Any suggestions getting it healthy again? Yeah, that's completely normal. So you've just gone through a change of the season where our lights ha- light light has changed quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so you will see the yellowing leaves and it dropping. One thing to watch, um, sometimes when I see yellowing leaves, if you flip over those leaves, sometimes you'll start to see spider mite. So you want to make sure you're checking for that. And with that, you'll start to see pitting on the leaves with the yellowing, and then you'll see almost a little tiny webbing on the back. So if you do see that, grab a bottle of Endol and spray it down. Do that once every 10 days for about three applications, and that will help you. Um, this time of year with your mandevillas, I would trim it and cut it a little bit right now. So I I would do a little bit of pruning and prune about a third to a half of it. And what that will do is it'll help promote some new growth, put it in, in a bright sunny window. So as bright as you can go and you can start fertilizing it again. So you can fertilize it with a 20, 20, 20 or a 15, 30, 15 fertilizer and get it going again. So yeah, I think a lot of people tend to forget and not necessarily this person in, in this case, but it's kind of becomes uh, 
a habit you get into. I just water my plants, right? Yeah. When was the last time you fertilized it? You ask somebody that question. Oh, I, I don't fertilize my plants. But you got to remember that the, the plants don't eat the dirt. They just absorb the, the food that's in the dirt, right? Exactly. So when the food runs out in the dirt, there's nothing left for the plant to eat. They don't eat dirt, right? They don't eat soil. Um, so we have to keep replenishing that. And in the wild, in nature, that happens as the seasons change and leaves fall and, you know, turn to mulch and, and all that stuff, right? Yeah. And even our, the water usually has quite a few nutrients nutrients in it. And because we're using tap water and we're using stuff, reverse osmosis water or those types of things that's so pure, we need to start adding those nutrients back in. Right. So, I mean, it's it's time to get going with some of that stuff too, yeah. right? Exactly. one 332 8255 Okay. We've got a minute and a half till our news uh, newscast here. Um, this is ex- actually a kind of expansion. We'll just go back to this for a second. So Rose said uh, she was the one who talked about canna bulbs, but uh, is gypsum or vermiculite perlite better to amend very heavy clay soils? Um, I'd probably use, you could use a combination of all three of them if you want to. So the perlite, what it's going to do is it's going to put more air pockets in. The vermiculite, it's going to be more act more as a wedge, help um, draw water to some of those areas that and and soak up some moisture and help retain the moisture mm-hmm. while driving um, air into those edges. And then the gypsum is just more of a amendment too. So you could use a little bit of both of them or all three of them. Um, personally, I like using the perlite um, if I'm doing like a perennial bed or annual bed or even a vegetable bed. If you're doing uh, more perennials and shrubs, then maybe the gypsum and the vermiculite might be better. So uh, what we're going to do first is go to our call because uh, Ben's been waiting a little time here with us on the call on the on hold. And we'll get to our text in just a moment here. So let's go to Ben, who is in Saskatoon. Hi there, Ben. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, got a question about a mock orange. Okay. We planted it about seven years ago. Uh, we pruned it back in the fall every year. Um, but we've never got blossoms on it. Mm-hmm. Never one. There's a few things that that can cause it. Where, where is it planted? Does it have quite a bit of sun where it is? Yes, it gets the, all the afternoon sun. Okay, so there's there's three things that can cause that. Is too much is not enough sunlight that will cause um, too much or not enough water. So that's that's something that you want to watch. So I would probe that soil down. I know Rick's not here, but he's very very keen on the rebar probe, probing. So go down to your soil and probe it. If you pull it up and it's like thick, mushy soil, you might have too much moisture in there and that's going to cause that. The other one is not enough moisture. So again, you'll be able to tell that by poking the rebar in and um, looking at that. And then... um, I had a little little Google search here and I I was kind of getting this feeling uh, that this is like another plant. So if Rick was here, he'd have the the answer for us in an instant. But I did a little searching just as we were on the break here. And uh, this is what came up from from Mr. Google here. It says, mock orange blooms on the previous year's wood like a lilac. So if you're cutting the thing in the fall, you're cutting all the blooms off for next summer. Okay, but it's growing so fast and right. out of control, we have to cut it back almost every year. Right. So what what they always suggest is you cut it cut it in the spring after it blooms, and you cut it right down when it's green after it blooms. So you get to enjoy okay. those flowers, and then you get you get to bring it back in June, bring it okay. back to the size you want. And then the okay. only other thing that it could be is inadequate, inadequate fertilizer. But you did say that you were pruning in the fall. Are you doing quite a heavy prune in the fall? Uh, it was uh, this year was a big prune. Yeah. Okay. 
big time because it was it was almost ten feet tall. Yeah. So move your move your pruning into the spring right after it finishes blooming or in the summer, and then that might help you. Okay. So if it's not blooming or hasn't bloomed, when in the spring would be a good time to? Trim? I would probably say late June. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So just right. just try to try to alternate alternate where you're where you're, when you're cutting it because I think like Rick yeah. would say you know just like a lilac we always talk about if we cut a lilac in the fall there's no blooms and it's going to be another full year until you get blooms so right. if if it's short now you might want to just keep it lightly pruned like keep on top of that pruning uh, yeah. through June and then leave it alone so that when it sets its blooms in at the end of you know end of August September that sort of thing and then. Let it see if we can get it to bloom that, that following spring. Trim it down after it's done blooming. I was starting to wonder if that wasn't the case, like a lilac. Well, thank you very much. You bet. Have Thanks a great day. Thanks for your call. All right. Okay, thank you. Bye. one 332 8255 Okay, let's go back to our text line, one uh, Same number there. We have a question with cats again. And this is one that I, we've gotten before, and it's always interesting to me. Uh, this is Jeremy, who's in Unity. What house plants can I have with my cats in the house that they will not chew on or they won't get sick? And, you know, it, uh, it's kind of a tough thing. I'd say half the answer is you can also train cats not to eat plants, right? You can do that. You can get that that spray bottle out and make sure they're, you know, you can train cats like a dog. We've got, uh, I've got a a brother-in-law and sister-in-law in in, uh, just outside of Regina, and they've done that. They've managed to get the cat pretty much not to eat the plants. I was thinking the first thing that came to my mind was, how about a cactus? Are they gonna are they gonna eat a cactus that's all prickly? You're gonna start putting cactus in the bottom of all your plants, so then they have to like jump on the cactus to get to the plant. Well, right? I mean, you could do something like that, right? You could put it up high somewhere where the cat really can't get to it, right? You you could, you could try that, that things too. like that. But is there anything specific that that aren't gonna harm a, a cat if they eat it? Yeah. So if you have a lower light area, some great ones are uh, calatheas, um, so peperomias, uh, almost like a succulent type leaf. Those ones are really nice. Um, a prayer plant, uh, cats, they're not poisonous to cats. I mean, with anything, depending on the personality of your cat, if your cat is going to go after plants, it's because usually they, they like to sort of nestle in the dirt. They like to dig in the dirt. So, or they, there's a wind or something like that blowing and then they they think it's fun to, to bat the leaves. Um, Or or they're just, they're just playful and or they're just cats and they like to chew on some of the leaves too so getting some getting some cat grass if that's the case and training them to maybe chew some different plants um is is a good idea as well too but there is a quite a few of cat safe plants and that's what you want to look at so um peperomias there's a huge variety of peperomias that you can do and they have a more of a succulent leaf on them um if the cat does tend to eat them they actually grow quite quickly so that's a that's a good one um staying away from if the calatheas are a cat free a cat friendly plant but if the cat is likes to hang out in the plants it will damage the leaves on them so they don't look as pretty right that makes sense and and the thing is these are these are all plants we're talking about that are not poisonous to cats however i mean if a cat eats enough of anything it still may make them with an upset stomach might make them have an upset stomach right yeah but i mean it would be no different than us eating an entire plate full of chocolate you might not feel so good after that's done right if you have a lot of light in your area and you want something taller, an Arika palm or a Majesty palm, those are great ones that are are cat friendly. Um, so that's a, that's a good one there too. 
um, some of your ferns. Uh, so whether a Boston fern or a rabbit foot fern, if you have a low light area, um, make sure you have nice high humidity. Those are, those are great ones as well too. So there is actually quite a large variety that are cat friendly, um, for, for your pets. Just like you said, it might be just training your pet to not do that. So I know some people will have like a little water bottle and whenever they get near their, their, their plants, they kind of give them a little squirt and that eventually trains them. Hey, you know what? This is a bad thing. We shouldn't go here or putting rock on the soil so that they can't dig in the soil. They have to get through the rock or even putting a, a mesh over the soil. Mm-hmm. That yep. will work as well too. So, you know, another, another couple of things kind of come to mind with a scenario like that too is that if you are a kind of person who like doesn't want to say, you know, kennel your cat while you're gone throughout the day. Yeah. And they, you want them to have free room in your house. Okay. Maybe make yourself a plant room. Yeah. Right. So you don't decorate the rest of your house with, with plants, but you can't keep one bedroom off to the side that you can close the door while you're away or close the door all the time when, when you're home. And then when you want to go enjoy those plants, you want to have that hobby going. The bedroom door is shut. Cat's not in there, right? Yeah, so, so you either have a cat room or you have a plant room. Right. So one or the other. A cat house with a plant room or a plant house with a cat room. Right. Just pick. You can do, <laughs> do both. But yeah, it is one of those tricky things when you have a really playful cat who likes to enjoy that. You think about... Or one that's motivated by food, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's a tricky one. But you think about like cats naturally, they live in nature with plants. And so for them to play with plants, that's kind of a natural thing for them to do. Totally. one 877 Okay, let's go to this. It's a very interesting text. This is from Lana, who's at Eagle Lake. I've got a Japanese maple bowl bush, and it's called uh, Acer Palmatum is the Latin name, right? Yep. Uh, presently, it's in cold storage. It has an, it's in an eight-inch pot. It's about a year and a half old. Outside last spring until fall, and it did drop its leaves in the fall. I want to make a bonsai out of it, right? So cutting it down so it stays to that size. Uh, so wants to prune much of the tall growth. Can I do it now when it's dormant, or do I wait until spring when it comes out of storage and it's kind of come back to life? She says, I know that maples ooze sap, so that's you know a consideration. What's the best time to prune when it's you know green or not green? And you have to trim the roots too. When do you do that? So a whole bunch of questions based on bonsaiing this maple bowl bush. What do you think? Okay, so the best time to prune a, a maple tree, um, especially this variety, is in the summer or autumn. So you want to do that in the summer or fall is when you want to prune them. So you can do some light pruning if you want to, mm-hmm. um, but I wouldn't do any heavy pruning um, right now. So that's that's something that's important. Um, but when you're transplanting it and you're wanting to make it into bonsai, the the biggest thing is is root pruning actually and so what I would do is uh, there's actually quite a few bonsai clubs if you're wanting to really get into like how to how to bonsai you can join some forums online and bonsai is is, is quite an art actually and uh, it's something that is is picking up as a trend and the amount of bonsais that I've brought in over the last month and the interest that I've had in them as, as a hobby, hobby gardening thing is, is just growing immensely. Um, but this a Japanese maple one is really neat too, because it does have those seasons where it's going to go dormant and then you're going to get leaves and it's going to come out. So timing everything on it is really important. So pruning in the summer or autumn. 
and then you want to transplant it about every two years and you want to do some root pruning when you're transplanting it. And root pruning is just sort of to, it's almost like you're stressing and making those roots small so that plant stays small. So remember, bonsai isn't necessarily the type of plant you have. Mm-hmm. It's the art of making a plant small. So um, remember that the, this is a hobby. This is an art. This is not even a topic that I'll even be able to get into on a one hour show. It's it's something that is, you're going to, you're going to change, you're going to mold as this plant gets gets bigger and gets better. If you if you want to, um, we've got lots of experts in the garden center um, who are specifically love gardening. To tell you the truth, my inventory manager, he is a bonsai expert. And yeah, you, you, yeah. You, you, started, you were sort of looking like, really, your inventory guy, the, the guy who like helps unload everything. I'm like, yes, he loves his bonsai. He has so many different bonsais. And uh, yeah, um, there it, it is such an art. But with this one, the, the maples, your pruning needs to be done summer and fall. Okay. And you'll want to be um, pruning those roots back when you transplant it yep. and keeping it in a small pot as possible. We we're, we got to talk about some free info sessions at the U of S, which are coming up, which are great. It's a great time of year to do that, to get the info because it's kind of the quiet season when it comes to gardening. And then you're, you're going nuts when it's, you know, it's green season, obviously, but now it's prep time, right? Yeah. And absolutely. And one of the great things about this is the U of S is in Saskatoon. So people are like, I can't get to Saskatoon to attend these. And these are free webinars that are online mm. and they're usually one to two hours long. Um, and they are, you can go onto their website and you can register. They have a certain amount of people, I think, who can go in. Um, but they have different topics coming on all the time. And I find, especially in the winter, they, they narrow down and focus because that's when people have a lot of time mm-hmm. to attend them. Um, there's great experts, um, that are teaching these classes. You are going to get horticulturists. You're going to get people who are experts in the industry. Um, some people who have written books. Um, so there's some great, great um, topics being covered here. So the, the one that's coming up on Tuesday is um, seed starting, um, seed starting for beginners and intermediate. That one's on Tuesday. On Thursday, there's one on uh, impatience. Um, okay. And so that's going to go over impatience and how to grow them and how they do in the shade and just sort of how to, how to own your landscape with those. This one's really cool on February 6th on rock guarding and Euroscaping, which I think is becoming a little bit bigger, a bigger trend as people are maybe like changing up their yards, um, adding a rock garden into their areas because it's been so drought and dry in the, in the summer season. And also maybe they're doing more Euroscaping, um, to get rid of those lawns too. So that's, that's kind of neat. February 8th um, ferns. Uh, it's called Fabulous Ferns. Uh, so that's coming up. Neat. And one of the things that we're seeing is not only ferns being big in the houseplant industry, but like in the perennial industry. So like people putting ferns and they're making a comeback in those shade gardens and the different types of ferns that you can do. How to make some of these ferns that maybe like a zone four, um, a four or five, um, mulch them properly and give them the the proper care so they can survive the winter um, here. But there's some great ferns that we don't know that are hardy here right mm-hmm. in Saskatchewan. And then February 15th is coming up in two weeks time. And that one's on award-winning veggies. So that one's going to be a really neat one um, to listen into. Uh, if you're wanting to figure out what are the best of the best veggies to, to grow in my garden, what is tried and true um, from the experts? So again, it's on um, garden.usask.ca. You can go onto their website and register for these webinars. There's also other ways that you can get involved with the U of S. And I just love how they have so much community involvement with their Master Gardeners program. They're 
their volunteer programs, um, they usually have a call line that you can call and oh, ask neat. the expert, just like what you're doing with us here. So um, I, I love what the U of S is doing in educating our industry and and customers and our, our clients and, and you, the gardener. So no yeah, check them out. Uh, let's go to our text line, one eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. This is from I don't know who, but it says I have a citrus tree fertilizer. The pellets aren't dissolving. Is there any other fertilizer I can use? You know, I've got that citrus tree fertilizer with I've I've got it in my um fiddly fig. Okay. Use it with that because I got yeah. advice to do that. And uh they they don't they dissolve very slowly. Yeah. They're a very slow release fertilizer. So don't be surprised if they're still there for years after you mix them in with the soil. Yeah, you can right? do, you can do that. The other thing that you can do is you can actually with your citrus you can get a foliar spray fertilizer that you can do and you actually spray it on the the foliage and it will absorb that way as oh, well. Really? Too. So there is a fertilizer that you can get that way. Um but yeah, this the slow release fertilizer the that you just put on the soil, it does dissolve very very quickly. For sure. All right. One more text to get to. Uh, this is from Joanne, Northwest of Saskatoon. It's kind of what we started with this morning is, good morning. What seeds can I be starting now and into February? So let's recap that. Yeah. So a recap of, of seeds to start right now. You want to be starting your geraniums and your seed geraniums. Um, you also want to be taking cuttings of your geraniums right now too. Um, begonia bulbs can go in right now. Any of your gourds, anything that's in like that 120 days on your seed package, you want to be getting those going now. Um, and if you're doing any pre- Perennials, um, getting those started um, now, now, now. You want to get those going. So if you have any perennial seeds that you're starting, starting next week, uh, you want to be collecting your seeds and be looking at the dates on your petunias, your um, verbena, your celery, um, any hot peppers. You want to start getting those going now and then in a couple of weeks getting your other peppers going um, and your heirloom tomatoes. So anything with a long seed starting date, you want to get those going now. So um, the seed department is, is bustling right now at the garden center. People are picking up their seeds and that's that's a really good idea. And I would suggest calendaring, calendaring out what seeds you are planning to plant and then sort of putting them in week by week, picking them up early um, because things are will start selling out right away. I guess don't forget those other couple special tips where we talk about bottom heat. Yes. We talk about having a fan, just a gentle breeze in the area when, when you take the covers off your seeds so that they're, they strengthens them. And don't forget to plan out to have enough room that when you transplant this all into bigger pots, you don't have an entire house full of pots on every surface. Surface and table. Bottom heat and high humidity is the most important thing when you're getting them germinating and then taking those covers off and having a great amount of sunlight is how you keep them nice and short. So well, those are little tips. That pretty much does it for us today. That was quick. That was a quick show. <laughs> Thanks for joining us and listening. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, whatever you've got left. And we'll catch you here same time, same place next weekend for more fun. Thank you. I'm Jay with Jill. You've been listening to Garden Talk on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM.